morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Troy, as Dan said, and uh, I'm usually down at West Bend, but it's a, it's a joy and a privilege to be up here with you here in Kewaskum. Um, as, as Dan said, we are doing this series called Hospitality, Redemptive Inconvenience, and, and we were really intentional about this series, about when we did it, because we are on the cusp of the only 90 days of the year that it's actually nice here in Wisconsin, right? Like... You know, I think we skipped spring, and we went right from winter to summer, and now we're back into winter. I don't get it, but it's Wisconsin, right? And this is kind of how we roll. But we thought, you know what? It's barbecue season. It's actually time to open our homes. We have a tradition at the Lather House. Um, it's called Take the Plastic Off the Window Day. You guys know, some of you have plastic, and we have plastic on our windows because it's the only way that it doesn't get condensation all over our windows. But anyway, so you, you take the plastic off, and we're like, yes, we can finally get a cross breeze again. It's been five months since we were able to open the windows up. Um, now, the thing about opening the windows up, though, is that although it's, it's wonderful to have a cross breeze coming back through the house again, what's not so wonderful sometimes is what goes out of the house. Um, and that's captured by uh, this meme that I saw a couple uh, weeks ago. Uh, do you have that, Matt? Well, when you, you get it up there, there it is. Attention, moms. Open window season is here. Time to switch from yelling to hissed threats. <laughs> right? In the winter, it's fair game. But in the summer, it's like, who's... <laughs> you know, that's what we have to transition to anyway. So uh, so this is the idea. When we, um, we open our homes up, the idea is that we're not just opening our homes up, we're opening our hearts and our lives up as well. And we don't always like doing that, do we? If we're really honest. Now, there's an old maxim, a statement, and I think you can help me finish the sentence, but it goes, a man's house is his castle. Yeah, a man's house is his castle. Now, um, Professor Jonathan Hafitz says about that specific phrase, he says, the maxim that a man's house is his castle is one of the oldest and most deeply rooted principles in Anglo-American jurisprudence. It reflects an egalitarian spirit that embraces all levels of society down to the poorest man living in his cottage. The maxim also forms part of the fabric of the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, which protects people, their homes, and their property against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. So, so we have this, this, this idea that our house is our castle. We have freedoms uh, and protections and laws that help us to keep it that way. But we take those things for granted. So some places in the world do not have that at all. And yet sometimes I think we maybe um, we, we think too hard about it. Think about this. The idea that he says the man's house in his castle is one of the oldest and most deeply rooted principles in our culture. So uh, last week I got a call from a, a friend of mine who's part of our West Bend site. And he's new, kind of new in following Jesus. And he called me and says, hey, Troy, I'm, I'm struggling with something. Can you help me out? And so I said, okay, what are you struggling with? He goes, well, it's that he goes, my granddaughter has kind of this milestone event in her life. My granddaughter does. And my wife invited uh, her family to uh, to our house on Sunday afternoon. I said, okay, is there a problem with that? He's like, no, no, no problem with that. Because, but my wife also invited her friends, my, my, my daughter's friends. And I said, okay, that sounds like that would make sense, right? He goes, yeah, but they're animals, Troy. They're all animals. He goes, we've spent some time with them before. They eat all the food. They, they use horrible language. You know, they rip everything out. They just, he goes, they trash the place. And so I said, okay. Um, and what happens to you when your house gets trashed? He's like, what do you mean what happens to me? He's like, I hate that. He's like, wouldn't everybody hate that? He's like, I've worked so hard to get my house right where it is, and then people come in and totally, totally trash it. 
And so I said, okay. Well, I asked him some more questions. I had him look in Scripture in a few places, and I had him pray. I didn't really tell him any answers. He knew he was going to get that from me, so I'm not sure why he called in the first place. Anyway, he, so he, he emailed me the next day or called me and said, hey, you know what? I actually did spend some time in prayer terms that I probably should open my house up. I said, and I said, praise God, that's true. But he was thinking along the lines of this phrase, a man's house is his castle, okay? But let me ask you this question. If, if this is true, if a man's house is his castle... Who's the king? We are. If we really hold into that phrase, if man's house is his castle, then we are saying that we're the king. Now, if you're here today and you follow Jesus Christ, you should, there should be a problem with that. Because there's only one king, and his name is Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus Christ, that maxim makes total sense. It actually makes logical, rational sense. If you're here... Uh, the expectation would be that you'd say, yeah, our house is my castle. But if you are here and you say, I follow Jesus, then you, you can't do that because our home is not our castle. Our home is meant to be an outpost for the true king in his kingdom. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, Dan talked last week about how Jesus calls us to invite those into our, into our lives, into our homes that would never be able to repay us. But I want to back up and go way back in the story to go, Jesus didn't just make that up on the spot. He was referring back to some, some ideas and concepts that come from very early on in Scripture. So we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 is on page 85 in the Red Bibles. I would encourage you to grab one uh, with you, or that if you have with you. If you don't have a Red Bible, please raise your hand. I really want you to read this with me as we go. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 19. It's on page 85. Now, as you turn to Leviticus 19, I'll give you some context about Leviticus because you may not be all familiar with it. So oftentimes people say, hey, I'm going uh, to read through the Bible. And so I kind of track along with them and they say, they read through Genesis, it's all fine. They read through Exodus, they're, yeah, it's still tracking away with Exodus. They get to Leviticus and all of a sudden they, people just start dropping like flies. Okay, and the reason why I look at if you look at there's the topic headings in Leviticus, you'll find the first like nine chapters are all offerings, the sin offering, the wave offering, the grain offering, the offering offering, you know, it's just like all offerings. And if that's not exciting enough for you, there's a chapter heading called uh, um, regulations on infectious skin diseases. Doesn't that sound exciting? Don't you get excited about that? And if you're not excited about that, there's a whole chapter's worth devoted to mildew. Okay, because I mean, we got to know about mildew, right? But the reason why Leviticus is doing this stuff is because God had taken his people out of Egypt. They were slaves there. And as he brought them out, he gave them some very practical ways to live. He gave them the Ten Commandments and said, you're my people and this is how you're supposed to live. But then he also said, here's some really practical things around how you should live. Now, in chapter 19, we come upon a, uh, a chapter that's got some miscellaneous laws in it. Okay, And there's some verses in here. Verses 33 and 34, actually, that speak to this idea of hospitality. So before we read them, let's just pray briefly. Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us through it. We know it does not come back void. Help it to divide as it does between bone and joint, sinew and marrow. Uh, Help us to see what you're speaking to us, even through these words that were written so long ago that still apply to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Chapter 19, verse 33 and 34 says this. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. This is God's word. Now, because we hear the word alien and we think of Sigourney Weaver, like, okay, like, I'm going to reread this using a different word because uh, the word alien is not a word that you usually use. I want you to think of the word sojourner, foreigner, 
immigrant, even refugee, but I actually want to read it with the word stranger because stranger is the broadest context word that we can use here that fits. When a stranger lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Now, a ton to unpack in just a few verses here. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to see who we are to care for, and we're going to see why. Who and why. That's what I want to unpack with you as we go through this. Now, first, before we do that, I want to make sure that you understand that when we're reading Leviticus, we're actually reading not suggestions. These are commands and part of the law. So God is saying, I am commanding you to be hospitable. Now, you may press back and say, Troy, I don't see the word hospitality in here anywhere. And that's because our understanding of what hospitality is has become um, kind of um, small. Now, we are here this morning, and, and Dan already brought Diane up. We're going to bring Diane up again. Diane has been overseeing our hospitality team. There's others of you who are part of the hospitality team here. So there is a place where you can, we can go after this and, and have donut holes and today cream-filled, uh, pudding-filled cupcakes. I mean, amen, right, to that. Uh, Lisa Doherty's here, too. Lisa oversees our team in West Bend. Uh, does the same thing. Now, that's hospitality, but that, they would both acknowledge that's not the full extent of hospitality. I was reading a book last month or so. It's called Take Heart by Matt Chandler, uh, Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief. And in this book, what uh, Matt is doing is saying, hey, Jesus has said, um, take heart, I've overcome the world, in the midst of what looks like a very scary world sometimes. But in the midst of this, he says, he, he has a chapter that's on application, and hospitality is one of the applications. And he says, here's how hospitality is defined biblically. It's to give loving welcome to, the, to those outside your normal circle of friends. Hospitality is to give loving welcome to those outside your no, normal circle of friends. Okay? And so hospitality is implied in this text, and it's implied because of this progression of both relationship and responsibility that I'll walk you through. This is our who. So let me show you what I mean here. If you look at the next slide, Matt's going to put it up here, we have uh, three circles. And on the, the innermost circle... It is um, yourself. You, and I put your family in here, so it's yourself. This is your innermost circle. So this green circle is anyone that you are comfortable wearing your boxers in front of. Okay, fair enough. So this is, this is your people. Now, the text also, though, expands it out and talks about the native born. So these are people who are like you. Probably almost everyone in the room, to some extent, would be native born. These are people who think the way that you think, maybe vote the way that you vote, maybe uh, process through life. Uh, they, their yards look the same as your yards. They drive roughly the same kinds of vehicles, those kinds of things. You think about native-borns in this context for us would be people who are like us. And then we have a further circle here, which is the strangers. And those are people who are not like us, people who maybe don't think the same way that we do, maybe come from a different context or a culture. And so here, this is the progressive um, part of the relationship that happens in here. Now, this command, though, that God gives us in these verses, we're going to watch this, this, this circle blow up. Let me show you what happens. So he starts in verse 33, and the command begins by saying, when a stranger lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. Now, let me ask you this. Does that sound really hard to not mistreat a stranger? No, right? Like how many of you are currently in the process of mistreating strangers on purpose? Nobody's doing that, right? Like, um, unless your occasional road rage counts, okay? We're not, you're not, you're going, yeah, you know what? If this is the command, I can do this. Don't mistreat strangers. You got it. Now, but he's not done here. He goes on. He says, uh, 
The next level of responsibility says the stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native born. So now what happens, what that means is it looks like this. So the red circle becomes yellow now. And now all of a sudden you're saying, wait a second, God, you're trying, you're telling me to treat people who are hard for me to connect with, relate to, and, and are not necessarily like me. You're trying to, you're trying to tell me I need to treat them like people who are like me. That's going to take some work. And it does. But he's not done. The command actually goes on and he says, um, love him, the stranger, as you love yourself. And that's going to mean that the circle is going to look like this. That's kind of mind-blowing. If you think about what God is actually asking us to do here. Love the stranger as you love yourself means that the whole circle becomes green. Okay, And that seems like a ridiculous request. Okay, this is where we kind of start to talk to God and we sound like this. We say, God, I don't know. I mean, I was taught to honor my mother and father and they told me not to talk to strangers. So I've been doing that my whole life. Okay, and I'm still holding on to that. This is where we say, God, you know what? Um, I look up my neighbors on CCAP. Okay, and I know what their deal is and I don't want to engage with them. Okay, this is where we say, God, you know what? Actually, I, I think there's actually a way out of this. There's a loophole. Troy, look at, um, and you can look with me, at chapter, um, chapter 19, verse 19. Troy, it says there, it says, Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Uh-oh. We're probably all in violation of that today. So see, Troy, so it says here, and, and that can't, it must mean it, it applied back then, but it doesn't apply to us now. Because Leviticus 19 doesn't apply to us, because who, who doesn't wear mixed clothing with different kinds of materials? And it's us trying to find a loophole out of this. But that's, that's pretty weak. But we do this, don't we? We do this. Now, the reason why we didn't, we weren't supposed to put two clothes, different kinds of cloth together was because they were talking about linen and wool. And if you put linen and wool together, they're going to shrink different. It's going to be all jacked up. Okay? So there's also holy and unholy going on. And God's saying, hey, there's a holiness. And you need to keep these things apart. So the, the thing of it is, though, is if you talk about clothes and the kind of clothes you should wear, you're going to find them in one, two verses in the Bible. This one right here and then Deuteronomy 22 is kind of a reiteration of it. If you look at the scripture and say, when does it talk about loving our strangers, loving strangers, you're going to see it over and over and over and over again. We saw Jesus reference it last week when, when, when Dan talked about that. We're going to see it over and over and over again. So here's the thing. We can't contextualize this away. We can't say, you know what, I'm not supposed to do that, actually. It doesn't apply to me. You know what? Every one of us is a stranger to somebody else. Everyone else is a foreigner, an outsider to somebody else. It's just that so often we forget. So often we forget. So what does it look like to, 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 to make this circle green? I don't actually know. I don't know. Is that helpful? Does that help you if I say I don't know? And the reason why I, I, I tell you I don't know is because if I started to tell you exactly how to do that, we'd become legalists. And say, this is not what you need to do. So here's what you need to do. How do you love yourself? Ask yourself the question, how do I love myself? And when I love myself, say, how do I now do that to complete strangers that are not like me? That's how we apply this. Now, one, one specific way I do want to try to apply this is our homes. And I want to say this. God wants us to use what we think is our castle for his kingdom. God wants us to use what we think of as our castle for his kingdom. Okay? Because he's the king and we're not. And I know we can come up with a ton of excuses 
Oh, you know, their kids, you know, their kids might influence my kids badly or, or, or I don't agree with them or um, my house isn't clean enough or house isn't big enough. Whatever it is, we come up with endless excuses. At the end of the day, the reason that we don't love like this green circle. Oh, hey, thanks. I forgot to do this. This is the progression of responsibility. It goes in this text from do not mistreat to treat as one of your native born to love him as yourself. But, the, but what we need to do is we can come up with endless excuses. The reason that we don't do this is because we've forgotten that we were once strangers too. Now here's what I want to do. i do a little activity here. I need four adults to stand up. Can I get four adults to stand up wherever you are? All right, I got three, four. Okay, thank you. Now, can you guys go and sit someplace differently than where you're currently sitting next to somebody else that maybe you don't even know? Can you do that? All right, now, for those of you who did that, what was that like? It's okay. <laughs> scary, a little scary. You're, you're good, you're jamming. Dave, you're an extrovert. This doesn't count for you. Uh, you're not? Okay. So the point is, is that we get outside of our comfort zones, right? Like, whenever we move in a place like this, you know what happened? Well, the first time you ever came to this, this gathering, you sat in a chair, and I'm pretty sure it's probably the one you're sitting in right now. That maybe not, but like there's a pretty good, we get into patterns and habits and we start to go, this is our space. This is our, this is where we sit. Do you guys usually sit down here? Okay, this is a little different. Okay, you guys usually sit over there, don't you? Okay, so thanks for modeling that. How is it, how is it down there? You like my nose hairs from down there? Okay. So the idea is that we forget, you know, when I, when I hear people talk about immigration, for example, and I don't, I don't really care what your position is on walls and, and, and deportation and refugees and all that. I don't really care per se. But here's, I think a lot of times what happens is when I hear people talk about it, it's, it's people we're forgetting. We're forgetting that we were once those people. Okay, everyone in this room, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty confident, everyone in this room is here because at some place in history, someone migrated here. Okay? And, and they were a great, great, great whatever. And they went through the kind of the cultural shock, the, 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 the struggle it was to speak a different language or to come into a, an unfamiliar place. This is, this is what happens um, to us, and we forget that. We forget that we were actually once on the outside. And you know what? When we're on the outside, go someplace where you feel totally out of place. You know what you want? Is you want that person, you want someone to be following God's command here and treating you like they would treat themselves as a stranger. Notice now, that's the who. So that's the who. The circle goes like this, and it comes into one. But the why is the other part of this text here. There's a motivation. There's actually two different motivations in this text. The first one is found in verse uh, 34, where it says, For you were strangers in Egypt. For you were strangers in Egypt. This is the first why. Because there's a DNA of foreigner, of stranger, into the Hebrew people or the Israelites that were built in. Abraham was a wandering nomadic sheep. He didn't have any land. And three generations after that, his entire family that did grow, they had to go down to Egypt and they became refugees. And actually, they're, as they were refugees from a famine in Egypt. Okay? And then they were there as slaves, not of their own place, as refugees, slaves, for 400 years. Until God then said, I'm going to bring you up out of the land of Egypt. And the minute that they brought them up out of the land of Egypt, they became refugees again. Okay? Well, actually, I like to use the word squatters. They were squatters in the desert. 
Okay, and before they even had a land to go into that God promised them, hey, we're going to give you a land. Before they even had a land to go into, God says, gives them this command. He says, I want you to treat the strangers like yourself. And you know what they would have said? They would have said, amen. Like that makes total sense. And you know why? Because they were strangers. They were wanderers. They were sojourners. But guess what happened? They got into the land. Did they remember that command? No, they did not. They didn't remember God. They forgot all of it. And so God says, I'm going to bring some foreigners in called the Babylonians. I'm going to take you out, and now you're going to be exiles. And this is, part of the, this is part of the story over and over again that God's people are exiles. They're foreigners. They're strangers. Why? So that we remember that we were strangers. So we'd be able to be welcoming of people. And so this is, this is part of the why. Okay? This is not the only reason why. There's another reason why God gives us a motivation as to why do we love the stranger as ourself? Here's the second reason. It's the last sentence here. I am the Lord, your God. I'm the Lord, your God. This is the, this is the second reason why we are to do this. Fifteen times in chapter 19, God will give a command, and then he'll do a mic drop and say, I'm the Lord, your God. And the reason why I think God does that is because he's like, the reason that I'm calling you to do this is because this is, how, this is who I am. This is what I do. God's like, I want you to be a people who are hospitable because I am a God who is hospitable. I want you to, tr- to love the stranger because you have treated me like I'm a stranger to you, but I've loved you. You've, you've been like a foreigner to me, but I have brought you in. A handful of years ago, uh, some of you might remember Aaron and Angie Palno. Aaron and Angie were um, part of our West Bend family of faith, and um, Aaron was an electrician, ran a business in West Bend, sold it, and he and his wife and two children moved to Montenegro to share the good news of the gospel with the people there. After they were there for a little while, my wife Stephanie and I had a chance to go over there and try to pray with them, encourage them, just be with them, spend some time with them. And when Aaron's a good friend of mine, so we got there, and I was, I was kind of like I had my eyes opened to how difficult life was in a place where you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture very well. I mean, just making a meal was like an event because Angie had to go, like, all of her favorite recipes, none of the ingredients were available like, you'd have to go make everything by hand, signing their kids up for soccer, going to school. It was just kind of a nightmare. And so uh, I realized what it was like and how, how important it was for some people there to help come alongside them. So came back convicted by that and remember that there was a young boy who was in my girls' class at the time. They were in kindergarten. He was from France. And so occasionally I'd be taking the kids to school on a Friday and walk them in or whatever, and I'd, I'd see this gal, and she kind of... She wouldn't really talk to anybody because she probably didn't speak the language very well, right? She was from France as well. And then um, she always seemed to be kind of outside, if you would. You can kind of tell. She felt like an outsider. So I thought, okay, Lord, I was convicted by this. I'm going to now make a fool of myself for you. Hopefully this will work out well. So I, so I saw her coming in, and I was like, hi, I'm Troy. I'm Tiana and Chloe's dad in the same class as your son. I don't speak French, but I have a friend, Molly, who does, and I could connect her with you. We could have dinner at our house, right? Like, this is what I'm doing. It's like Chris Farley, right? And she laughs a little bit, and I think at first she was a little afraid of me. But then she laughed, and so she said, she, and then she said, we would love to come to dinner. I'm like, oh, she does speak English. I probably should ask. But, but so then we had him over for dinner, started to develop a relationship, spent about three years developing a relationship with them before they ended up moving back to France for a job promotion. And one of the nights they were at dinner with us, um, she looked at us and she said, you guys have been like a light in the darkness for us. 
And my gospel fluency wasn't as good back then as it is now. I would have what I would have liked to have said, which is, hey, any light that you see in us is Christ in us. I didn't necessarily say that. We, but we had great spiritual dialogues. And um, I know they, they weren't necessarily following Jesus, but um, they were invited to Chloe's baptism. When she got to share her testimony, they came and we were able to see some of that. So just, just little things. All that was, was was us trying to go, Let's. this is going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. There's going to be things that we... You know, we may not understand culturally those kinds of things, but how do we open our homes up? How do we open our hearts up? And how do we open our lives up um, to that end? So can we get outside of our comfort zone, family? Can we get outside of our comfort zone and be hospitable? This is the challenge. Now, I want to go back and read some of this uh, chapter from Chandler. This is how he applies what it looks like to live courageously. He says, courageous living looks like showing hospitality. Now, don't hear me say that hospitality is the sum total of courage, or of evangelism and discipleship for that matter, but don't miss me saying that living courageously will involve living hospitably. If hospitality doesn't sound exciting or initially feels confusing, that's because the idea of hospitality got hijacked by Martha Stewart and became less about the way we live our lives and more about how we decorate and prepare meals. I'm not against that, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying that's not what the Bible means when it talks about hospitality. When the Bible speaks of hospitality, it almost always ties it to aliens and strangers, that is, to people who are not like us. And the Bible is serious about hospitality. The Bible is serious about hospitality. You see, family, God wants us to use what we think is our castle for his kingdom. Now, I know that some of you are here, you're already doing this. Like, you're not just opening your homes up for meals for others, and not just for people who are in the green circle, but you've opened up to the yellow circle and the red circle, and you're not opening just meals. Some of you are opening your home up for people to live with you, okay? And so one of our hopes and joys is, would be that this, would, this series would be an encouragement to you. But, but if we're honest, there's some of us in the room who are like, Mm-mm. like this hospitality thing, Mm-mm. like some of you maybe have never opened your house up to anyone outside the green circle. Let's be honest. Like some of us have been in that place. And so the, the, the challenge would be, how can we take baby steps in this? Now, now do that, does that mean that you should start you know, taking refugees from Milwaukee and like having them live with you tomorrow? Like I'm not sure unless the Spirit convicts you in that. That's fine. You may want to take this more in bite-sized chunks and say, so one application would be, for example, what would it look like to say this summer we're going to just be intentional and say once a month. Just once a month we're going to take someone from the yellow circle that we maybe never had over someone who maybe thinks like we do. Maybe they don't follow Jesus, but we're going to invite them over and share a meal. We're going to serve them. We're going to listen to them. We're going to hear their story, and we're going to care for them as if they're an outsider. Could we do that? Imagine what it would look like if all of the homes of our family of faith at Kettlebrook were open regularly to the yellow and red circles. It would be an amazing thing. One of the other applications is, um, Dan, do we have the handouts? We probably do. So these are one-page handouts. I think they're here. We ran out of them. So if you want them, talk to Dan. He'll get you some. He can email them to you. These are soft copies as well. Just, just practical things. We will have these at the Equip event, too, that Dan announced. We want to make that as a very practical application is to go um, the, the 22nd come, three hours. We're going to get you to interact on this concept together. Um, and, then, and then the other application is this. And Dan, Dan was very intentional about inviting me up here today. Um, and I appreciate it, Dan. Um, as Dan mentioned, you know, next Sunday is our last Sunday in Kewaskam. So as the site pastor of West Bend, what I want to do is I want to be hospitable. I, want our, I hope our people in West Bend are hospitable. And I want to say, if God is calling you to join us for gatherings in West Bend, that you are more than welcome. 
uh, the, the crowd's a, a little bit larger, so we don't want you to get lost in that. So we're hoping that you're able to connect with each other here while you're there and then, and then be able to see one another. But, but really want to make sure, and, we, and I just preached this message last Sunday, so I'm hoping that our people this morning in West Bend are, are be, be increasingly hospitable on Sunday mornings. But all that to say is that please, from, from the West Bend site perspective, I'd love to feel, have you to know that you're welcome to worship with us there um, moving forward starting uh, the 28th. I think it's the 28th, the, the Memorial Day weekend and, and beyond that. What, is that right? 27th. If you come on 28th, we won't be there. It'll be really awkward because it'll be a Monday. Um, but anyway, that, that's one thing. I want to I close here by just going back into Chandler and then showing you a couple more charts and then we'll close. He says, why would the Bible talk so seriously about hospitality? Well, if I could just boil it down to the simplest truth, it's because God has been so hospitable to us. Even when we were living as his enemies, God came and saved us. Through the work of his son, the father opened the door and invited us into his presence through his indwelling spirit. God has shown us kindness over and over and over again, despite us being outsiders and strangers, despite us being outside the promises, despite us being in rebellion against him, God shows hospitality to his enemies in saving us as sinners, inviting us to eat at his table in an eternal home. And we demonstrate that we truly appreciate the divine hospitality we've received as we extend our own hospitality to those around us. If we look at these circles again, I think we sometimes get confused around these circles, and we actually look at people through this next slide's lens. So there's us and God, and we're in the green circle, and we're good together, and then there's bad people, and then there's really bad people outside that, okay? And that's why we don't interact with those people, because those people in the yellow circle, they're kind of bad people, because they're different. And then the ones who are really bad, we certainly, they're red for a reason. Stop. Okay? But here's the thing. In reality, our sin, our sin makes the chart look like this next slide. This is what it looks like. Here's God and here is us. We're outside because of our sin. We've been separated from God. We don't deserve to be inside any circle of his. And yet through Jesus Christ, he brings us in. And so I want to close by just reading uh, some from the word that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the followers of Jesus. This is what he wrote. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were separate. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Christ. This is why we are to be hospitable. We were far away and God has brought us near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore we can look at those who are far away and say we're going to see that you can be brought near as well through through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why we are to be hospitable people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have brought us near through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we can come from being an outsider to being inside your family, your eternal family. It's not because of what we've done to earn that. We can't. We can't earn it. And so we confess to you that we try and that we fail. Father, we also confess that we so often are focused on that green circle, us, ourselves, and maybe those who we're most comfortable with. We pray, Father, that you convict us by your spirit to see 
the yellow and the red, and bring them into the green as well because you have brought us in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.